You're listening to Two Smart Assets with Chris Thompson and Danny Nichols. This is your source for passive investing in real estate syndications. It's time for us to gain knowledge and take action. So let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is the Two Smart Assets Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Nichols, here once again with my co-host, Chris Thompson. Hey, what's going on, Danny? Good to see you, bud. Good to see you, too. Excited for this week's episode. Tell the listeners what we're talking about today. Okay, so we spoke with uh, Bruce Peterson, the apartment guy. And among many other things, Bruce is an educator, he's a multifamily syndicator, and he's also a best-selling author. Uh, we had a great conversation about you know, just the importance of being self-aware and why there's no shame in being successful. And Bruce got a great attitude and uh, he's pretty funny. So. Great attitude, great attitude. Very excited to get into the show. But before we do, just want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners. We really appreciate you tuning in. And if you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and written review. It really helps us grow the podcast, attract more guests, and ultimately provide better information for everyone listening. If you're a passive investor or looking to get into passive investing, then head over to our website at twosmartassets.com. There you can grab our guide for passive investing in apartment syndications. Just a great introduction into the world of passive investing in apartment syndications. So make sure to check that out. Also, grab our apartment syndication sample deal. This is going to help you get comfortable with looking at this type of investment. So when the real opportunities come your way, you'll be ready. And if you have any questions about what's in either of these resources, drop us a line anytime on our website's contact us page, or you can message us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We're posting some great content on there. So make sure to follow us and start connecting. All right, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Bruce Peterson, the apartment guy, Bruce Peterson is an educator, a best-selling author, and a syndicator of large multifamily properties throughout Central Texas, ranging in size from 48 to 292 units. He was awarded the Austin Apartment Association's Independent Rental Owner of the Year for 2016 and the National Apartment Association's Independent Rental Owner of the Year for 2017, as well as Think Realty's Multifamily Investor of the Year for 2019. Bruce targets stabilized property where he can buy cash-flowing assets and drive value through building community and improved operations. He's able to do this by implementing his proven systems and deploying his experienced staff to replicate his business model across the new acquisitions. It's great to see you, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we followed you for a little while now, and uh, we're definitely excited to have you here. Uh, I'm sure we're going to learn a lot. And um, today, you know, I think we're going to dive into a little bit of mindset stuff. But before we do that, Bruce, like, would you mind just telling us how you got started in real estate and how you got to where you are today? I'm a highly educated college dropout. Let's put it that way, right? So I dropped out of college uh, in the early 90s. Uh, just wasn't working for me. I'm not cut up for a formality of like uh, formalized education. So I'm a college dropout. Having said that now, you know, I don't have a lot of skills. So I fell into retail, did that for almost 20 years. Uh, retired, I guess you'd call it retired, semi-retired, quasi-retired. I think I was 42 years old. Um, just hit a wall, couldn't do it anymore. Uh, retail was very rough on you, rough on your body. Uh, I was working 100 hour weeks that last month, that last year of working for somebody else. So I just kind of had to throw the keys in and say, look, I'm done. So I packed up all the stuff I had, put it in storage, rented a car, drove around the eastern half of the US for about a, what was it, a month to a month and a half, just trying to clear my head, not really having any direction. Uh, hit the two big halls of fame, the baseball and football halls of fame. Went to Montreal, went to Key West, I went all over the place. Came back, bought a house, lived in the suburbs, played in my yard for a year by myself. 
And here we go again. Okay, this sucks. So I got to figure something else out. Uh, so I started doing a search for somebody that could teach me how to invest in real estate. Uh, that was probably 2010, 11. I found somebody started getting myself educated in 2011, bought my first deal, uh, a syndication, 48 unit North Austin, bought that in 2012 and uh, you know got a 300% return for my investors within two and a half years and thought, oh my God, this is great. This is easy. Well, okay. That was the market of 2012 taking care of a lot of it. You know, I did well uh, for myself and my investors, but the market aided a lot, right? So we did well. We were, you know, making 10 to 12% cash to cash returns, but the market just ran away from us. So where I bought for $34,000 a door, sold for almost $60,000 a door, you know, it blocked in a huge gain for us. So got sidetracked for a little while, started helping others do what I had just done and took about a year, year and a half off of buying our own stuff. And then I came back to it, bought the second property in 2015. You know, it took us, it took me a little while to get to that second one. But from that time of the, the, the second one, over the next 18 months, I syndicated 860 units. So we started moving pretty quickly as we built out our infrastructure. We now have two management companies. We have an asset management company, a construction company. We're very in, uh, vertically integrated. Love everything about what we do. Don't see us stopping this anytime soon. Um, when it's as fun as it is and as rewarding and having as big an impact as we can in our neighborhoods, in our community, you know, why would we stop? So yeah, it's just been a blast. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, when you, they always say, I mean, it's super cliche, but I mean, when you like what you do, it's not exactly work. And, you know, you found something that you're good at and that you love. And, you know, it sounds, you know, it sounds like you get a lot just from helping others. You know, it's that kind of that abundance mindset you give without any real expectation of return. And, you know, you, you bear the fruit of all that stuff. Like it finally does turn around and come back to you and, and all this without needing that education, you know, and we, everybody really drives that, like, got to get, got to go to college. That's the next logical step. But I mean, college isn't for everybody. You know, you're just living proof, you know, that you don't necessarily need that. I mean, you got other kind of skills that, that you're able to deploy here, you know, to really get where you want, kind of live life to the fullest, you know, you know, your, your experience really kind of speaks for itself. I and mean, you've been very successful in your real estate career. And I'm sure you'd probably give some of that credit to the success, to those systems that you've put in place. You know, we understand, you know, like implementing those right systems uh, can have huge benefits, you know, when building and scaling, you know, successful business. Can you talk to me about your experience with building those systems like that you've had to implement and, you know, any challenges or speed bumps that you might have had to overcome in that process? So I'm different than a lot of people that probably will listen to this podcast and a lot of people that are not getting into this industry. What I see happening a lot is, uh, so there's basically two brain types, right? There's an A and there's a B. The B is hyper analytical. The A is hyperactive, right? And they're, they're both, they're both very successful in this. Most of the people that I'm seeing come into it, they'll tend to be on the B side. They're more engineer brains. They're more tech guys. You know, they're coders. It's not who I am, right? You know, people have all these systems and processes and procedures, and we have them. But the biggest thing for me is we started with scale. We started hiring smarter people than us for their respective discipline. You know, we've got scale now so we can hire corporate staff. So now we have a full bookkeeping department. We have an operations department. We have regional managers. So, you know, I can't point to one specific system. I'm more uh, a character-based guy, uh, 
you know, big picture. My EQ is very high. I manage to my staff, their strengths. We, of course, again, we have software that we use. We have a CRM, we have an investor portal. So some of the tech that goes along with scale that comes with scale, I guess I should say, but I can't really point to, you know, I, I think there's like six Sigma or something like that. Five Sigma, something like that. Uh, we don't yeah. do that. There's DISC, uh, D-I-S-C for hiring. Well, I don't do that either, right? So remember, I, I'm a highly educated college dropout. So, you know, we, we go about it a different way. You know, one of my best, better friends and a fellow syndicator in San Antonio, you know, he's got all these systems and processes and procedures and it works phenomenally well for him. It's just not who I am. You know, I manage people. I manage, I don't want to say by feel because that sounds reckless. It's not reckless at all, but what we do. But again, I know I have measurables. I have KPIs that I'm looking for. We train our staffs appropriately. We put them through tons of training, um, both virtual and in person when we can at the apartment association. So again, you know, my answer is not the best answer for you probably, but you know, we, we utilize some of the tech, but I don't, uh, I'm not a huge, very rigid uh, process and procedure guy. So much so that the processes we do have in place, because we have a full company, a handbook and employee handbook, job descriptions, all that. But what I beat into the heads of my regional managers, my property managers, everybody, the rules and the regulations and the processes and the procedures are there to be followed until they can't be followed. A rule is a rule until you can't follow it. And new people that come into our organization, they're like, oh, I'm lost. I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I need to follow a rule. No. Again, this is what happens when that happens. But if the rule says to do this, but it's the wrong thing to do for a human being, well, then don't do it. Sure. Take care of human beings at the bottom of it all. Your residents, uh, for the regional manager and myself, your staff, take care of people. Even if the book says it, it says to do it a specific way, what would you want done if you were that resident and you were in their shoes? How would you want to be treated? You know, don't say, well, the book says I got to do this. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's not there. An example of that, we had uh, a property that we took over about three years ago, three and a half years ago. Part of our takeover plan was we were going to install, uh, I guess you'd call it retrofitting, all the house lights, all the common area lights. Some people will call them security lights. Some people will call them wall packs. So we're going to convert from high pressure sodium, which is very expensive from an electricity standpoint, and we're going to go with LEDs. There's some parts of the property we felt were a little underlit also. So at night it gets kind of dark. So we replaced all of those with LEDs and we added a few that weren't there before. Well, a guy comes in the office and he's all, he's upset. He is just mad as hell at us. Well, we put in a new light that didn't exist on the side of a building that faces his building. But right outside his bedroom window now, he's got this bright ass LED light shining in his room all night. Well, we didn't think about that. So the guy comes in and uh, he's complaining to the staff and the staff is, you know, following the rule book that, well, you know, sir, I'm sorry, but it was kind of a dark area. We we had to do it. I, I'm sorry if it inconveniences you, but it kind of is what it is. They weren't disrespectful. They weren't rude. But what I heard about this, other was, stop, stop, stop. You can't. That can't be our answer. I realize that's probably the answer, but it's not the answer. What would it take to fix this problem? Move. You know, we could transfer. Like, no, no, don't uproot his life. Don't make him move to another unit on property. That's disruptive as hell to this guy. He comes to you with a problem. You're going to give him a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying, Bruce. Like, okay, what else can we do? So we just kind of went back and forth. And I finally said, what if we were to just get him some blackout drapes? hundred bucks at the most. 
buy him some blackout drapes, hang them for him. Don't create a job for him. Don't say, here you go and have him hang them. So we did that. The dude was ecstatic because he saw that he had a problem that we created. Granted, we created his problem, but we were willing to spend money to fix the problem. A rule is a rule until you can't follow the rule. So I don't know how to give short answers. I apologize, but I mean, maybe that helps kind of talk about how I feel the way we lead. No, I actually really appreciate that. You know, just to touch on something you said a minute ago, it's like taking care of the tenant your customer, like that's the bottom line. And, you know, like, yeah, we can, for the most part, we can, we can address this rule book. This is going to get us most of the way there. Right. But we have to be more dynamic and more fluid. And yeah, this a solution would have been, yeah, to move him, but you didn't even fix that problem. That light is still blasting through that window. So it's the next guy's issue. And so rather than just put a bandaid, we address it, you know, and, you know, instead of, like you're saying, like, instead of giving him a task, like, let's just hook it up super low cost. And he's going to feel much better even about you guys, like as a company or whatever, like you're just, I don't know. You got to be more dynamic, more dynamic than just, you know, that's what the rule says. The world doesn't work like that, you know? Right. And then to take it one step further for me as the leader of my organization, it's now my job to make sure they understand why we made the decision we made as a staff. Why did we make that decision? And make sure they understand you are completely empowered to do that exact thing again. If something like that comes up, it's going to cost $100, $200, but it's the right thing to do for that human being living in his home, not our unit, but it's his freaking home. If it's the right thing to do by that person, you just go do it. Explain to me why you did it because I'll see it in the in the, uh, in the T12 or in the financials at the end of the month. Just talk to me and, and be able to speak to why you did what you did. As long as you, you know, go the route of doing something right by a human being, I will never be upset now. Well, I have maybe had a different solution, possibly, but we'll talk about that. But I need them to feel empowered and give them the autonomy to do their job without me hanging over their freaking shoulder all day. Nobody wants to work that way. Everybody wants more autonomy and to be able to do the things they know is right. Now, if they do the same thing wrong multiple times, well, then we do have an issue maybe and we'll discuss that. But for the most part, they're told they have parameters as long as it falls within $1,000 roughly and it's not going to create a lawsuit, a death, or we're going to lose our business. Make that damn decision. If you can't make that decision, how can I go get the next property and how can I scale our business to give these people promotion opportunities and growth within our company? So it's just a huge driving force behind what we do. Yeah, I think that it's pretty powerful. I mean, just giving that, giving your your employees a little bit of leeway to kind of think outside the box. Yeah, they need to justify it and they might not always make a decision you would have made, but like you're saying, like err on the side of caution, err on the side of that human that we're dealing with. And, you know, there's little to be mad at, you know, after the fact, you know, if we've got happy people here, then, you know, it is what it is. So see what one simple question about process did to you, but you said we're going to talk about mindset. So that's why I took it that way. Because again, I don't have a lot of process and procedures. Sure, sure. I think it's about mindset and trying to lead with. Right. So you actually, I mean, you gave me a a pretty wordy answer, but uh, it was actually really what I needed because that kind of helps me pivot into my next, into my next deal. Or my next question here is, you know, like a lot of people, you know, are on the fence 
you know, right now about a lot of things, you know, and within our circle at the moment, a lot of those conversations are typically centered around, you know, making a shift in a career or whether, whether to be investing or not, I don't know, you know, and it seems a lot of this uncertainty is presenting fear and, and the perceived notion of comfort. And if somebody doesn't actually enjoy what they do, you know, they're still going to continue on because that's what they've always done in the past. And it, it kind of lends to just kind of like knowing yourself and being aware. And like, what, what do you say to someone like that? Or how do you become more uh, self-aware about what you're strong at, what you're good at? I don't know how I can make you more self-aware, except to tell you, be more self-aware, be introspective, think about yourself. It's hard for people to be self-aware, I think. And it's, it's a human condition, I guess. It, it's human nature that for the most part, none of us want to admit fault or flaws in ourselves. It's hard to admit that I suck at this. Well, we all suck at stuff. Just figure out what that stuff is. And it's a Gary Vaynerchuk thing, right? That uh, he says all the time, figure out what you're great at, double, triple, quadruple down on that, hunt the shit you're not good at. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean ignore it. That means oversee it, but hire somebody else to do the things that you don't want to do. You know, a buddy of mine, Devin, he talks about this a lot about, you know, do the things that give you energy. Don't take energy. You know, I'm probably bastardizing that in some way, but you know, it's that thing. What lights you up? What are you best at for your organization? Do that. Don't worry about the rest of it. You know, as far as trying to become a master at it, find somebody that is a master at it, oversee them, and then just get out of their way. Um, it, you know, you're talking about the conversations you and you guys in your group are having. This black swan event, if you're smart, this could be the best thing that ever happened to you. Now, that sounds ridiculous. And I don't mean, hopefully you haven't lost anybody in your world that you're, you're close to. Hopefully nobody's been sick that you know, but I'm talking about this is a way for you to reassess who you are, what you do. Do you hate what you're doing? I hated the work I was doing so much in retail. I was physically sick to my stomach every time I went to work. I hated it that much. You know, people tell me, but I, but I can't quit my job. Why? You tell me you hate it. Well, I need insurance. Oh, come on. Give me a freaking break. You need insurance? You can buy your own insurance. Don't let, oh, my insurance will go from $200 a month to $400 a month or $600, even if it's $1,000 a month. Is it worth being miserable? You know, I think it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, and, you know, and then people will say, well, I have a guaranteed paycheck. Dude, I hate to tell you this, there ain't shit guaranteed. How many people that had that guaranteed paycheck, how many people have lost their jobs during coronavirus, during COVID? Now, most people that listen to this uh, podcast with you guys, they probably haven't been affected to that degree because I think most of the white collar parts of the country have been fine, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of retail, a lot of restaurants and bars and entertainment, those guys, their jobs are gone, you know? So don't fall into the false sense of security. Oh, I got a job. There's nothing guaranteed. This is a good time to recalibrate, maybe find a better way that you're more in control of. Uh, I realize that being an entrepreneur and starting your own company is not for everybody, but maybe you can come, kind of come up with a side gig or, you know, just invest passively. In that way you're slowly working on replacing your earned income. That way nobody has control over you anymore. Yeah, I hate that. Even just that insurance aspect like that, just the simple fact that it's even tied to our jobs. But like that's that's handcuffing people to their desk and keeping them, you know, it's it's the opposite of the abundance mindset. Like they're they're stuck there. They hate it. And I don't know. I don't even know how to add to that. Yeah, you got to you got to break out. And like what, who's saying you can't? You're saying you can't go like, you know, I don't know how you were able to uh, 
to go driving around the country, but you made it happen. And you were able to kind of like find yourself a little bit and kind of figure out that, you know, this is not worth doing. I'm going to do it my own way. And there's right. a, a so, huge you know, to be fair, to be fair, I was single, right? It was easier for me. And I understand that I could just pick up and take off, right? I have no kids. I have no wife, no girlfriend. They didn't even have a damn dog. So it's really easy for me, but I would still push back. Okay. Yes, it was easier for me, but it wasn't easy. But even if it was easy, easy for me. Well, it's harder for me, Bruce. I'm established in my life. I have two kids. So, okay. I want to get really deep here and I'm probably going to cry if I'm not careful. I have a friend that almost killed himself. Legitimately put a freaking gun in his mouth. Okay. You have a family. You can't just walk away like I did. Yeah. But how, how much good are you to anybody if you're dead? Okay. You could argue, well, they get insurance proceeds. Kiss my ass. Shut up. That's, that's dumb talk. But people will say that, but you know, isn't it worth taking a chance? You know, Jim Carrey tells a story about his CPA. I think his dad was a CPA. He got laid off. You know, he thought, you know, I've got the security of this 30 year job. He got laid off. So what he told Jim was, look, you can, you know, you can fail at shit you hate. Why not try to do something you like? Right. So walk away from that job. If you're that bad off, if you're miserable like I was or my poor friend who almost took his own life, it's scary. I know, but it's better than being dead. So, you know, anyways, yeah, I can get really, really heated, really animated about this stuff because people are scared and I get being scared, but you got to make a decision. You got to take a stand and, and, and do what's right for you and your family. You being dead is not that. That's a, a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah. Um, well, I want to kind of switch the mood up just a little bit and actually hit the opposite end of that spectrum where, where we could talk a little bit about, you know, I've heard a couple of people, I think they, I feel as though when I'm talking to a, a handful of certain people, they kind of hold back in what they're telling me. And I feel might not be right that there's like this element of like shame in their success. And like, maybe they're, they're holding back because they don't want to be braggadocious or whatever. Like what does no shame and success mean to you? Well, okay. So I'm not the biggest fan of the person Grant Cardone, but the guy's smart. He's really smart. Whether you like him or hate him, I, I don't hate anybody. I don't think, but I, I'm not the biggest fan of his. He kind of strikes me as almost sleazy. I don't know, but he, he is totally unapologetic. And I think Vaynerchuk's the same way that, look, there's no shame in success. Why do you feel that way? Money's the root of all evil. Kiss my ass. No, it's not. It's the root of all evil for people that are evil. If you're evil, money makes you more evil. If you're good, money makes you more good, right? My non-college brain, I'll butcher that word. <laughs> but, you know, don't, don't be afraid of success. I don't apologize for as successful as I am. I hope to own a jet someday and I won't apologize for it. You know, the, the more successful financially I can become, the more options I have for me and my family, the more I can do to help. Again, if you're a good person and you say, let's say you tithe 10% to your church, let's say you make $100,000 a year, you're giving the church $10,000. That's admirable. That's phenomenal. What if I could show you how to make a million? You know, what is, there's no shame in being rich. There's no honor in being poor. That is, that's just ridiculous. That's people that are, are scared to try. That's for people that are lazy as hell. They're not willing to bust their ass to make a success of themselves because they're afraid they might fail. Well, okay, whatever. You stay stuck where you are. I get it. That's fine. But yeah, I, I just, I can't stand that mindset. I, we're not going to get political here, but at the same time, when uh, I think it was the first presidential, uh, the Democratic first, the first Democratic debate this cycle where um, Bernie Sanders was asked about 
uh, you know, his statement, is it true that you said that you don't think billionaires should exist? And he kind of hemmed and hawed and stammered and stuttered and uh, no. Do you believe that billionaires should not exist? And, you know, when he did say that, I, I don't understand his thought processes. I think he's I think he's a good man. I think he's got some good ideas. But to tell the world or to, to hold the belief that billionaires should not exist, that is such a crock of shit to me that I just don't get it, right? Jeff Bezos, I don't know what he's worth now, but I think the last I heard he's worth 140 or 180 billion. So, so that should not exist. He should exist. He should have the right to be worth 180 billion because if he's worth 180 billion, how many trillions of dollars of value did that dude create to be worth 180 billion? How many jobs did he create? How many people's lives did he make better with those jobs and with the the uh, platforms that he's created? You know, how many people make their living selling through Amazon, right? So yeah, again, another hot button with me, right? That, oh my God, it drives me apeshit when people say, no, I had a guy at a, at a talk that I gave and I was teaching the virtues of real estate, why you might want to do this for a living and how I can teach you legitimately how to make a million dollars a year yourself doing this. Guy came up to me afterwards. He's a uh, he's a chiropractor. And he said, I, look, I'm a hippie. I'm a chiropractor. And you're talking about making millions of dollars a year. That's grotesque and obscene to me. I, I, I don't want any part of that. I'm like, but why? Because you've been told and taught that money was evil and it's bad to be successful. I said, okay, let's break that down. What do you like to do when you're not being a chiropractor and cracking people's backs and necks? What do you like to do? He goes, well, I take one vacation a year for a week and I go to a third world country, different country every year, and I give free chiropractic care to these third world people that can't afford it. And, you know, everybody can benefit from it. So I give it to them for free. It's like, dude, that's amazing. I love that. But why do you only do it once a year for a week? What if I could show you how to flip that? And instead of one week a year, I could show you how to do that for 51 weeks a year and work for one week a year. He's like, mm -hmm. what? I said, dude, look, let's say he actually volunteered to me. He said, I do it kind of part time because I don't want to work myself to death. So I make 50 to $70,000 a year. Like, hey, okay, that buys you one week a year. If I show you how to make a million dollars by providing good, clean, safe housing for other human beings, how many people could you help with free chiropractic care at that point? And he had never framed it that way or thought about it that way. The guy legitimately started crying in front of me. And I'm like, money is not bad. It gives you options and it gives you the ability to help more and more people. That's all. Sorry, long story. I love how it, it seems crazy to me that people don't, they're not able, I guess, to put that kind of spin on it. It's not a spin, that's a wrong word, but you know, to reframe it in such a way and then to somehow believe that like, you know, a, a large amount of money is gross or grotesque or whatever. Like, but if we could make, if we could teach you how to make millions a year, what would you do with that? Like you could give it all away if you wanted. I mean, if you think money is gross, then go sell all your stuff. I don't know what to tell you, but if you really want to help people, we can give you a huge ability to do that, you know, with a little bit of education and some, you know, some sweat equity. I mean, you could do a lot and there's nothing gross about that. Right. You might not want the jet or the baseball team that I hope to someday buy. And that's fine. It's your money. You do with it what you wish. If you want to give it all away, if you, whatever you want to do, it's totally fine. Again, money to me is options. That's all it is. How many more people can you help? You know, it, it, it's, it's super powerful. If you think about money the right way and the fact that it's, it's a tool, that's all it is. It's only a tool to help you do good in the world. That's it. It's a powerful thought. I, I don't understand like why anybody would, uh, would want to try to cap like what somebody else might be able to earn or, you know, that's, 
that also seems silly. You know, having a billion dollars seems crazy, but I mean, you could, a lot of people could do a lot of good with that. You know, if just given the right, uh, with the right mindset, you know, if you want to give back, give it all. Imagine how many lives you could change. If you, if you don't like that, then you can, you can help so many people. I don't know. That's, right. I Those also, people, they just need to fill their brains with the right stuff. Read some really good books. Read David Osborne's uh, Wealth Can't Wait, you know, things like that. Um, it, it just, there's just there's such a better way to think about things. Okay, let me just shift just a little bit before we're running out of time. Like, what do you think? Uh, you know, is, I mean, and maybe you can, maybe you've already answered this, I guess. But what do you what do you think is like one or two things that have really contributed to your success? I think it's being self-aware, uh, my candidness, to be honest, you know, my candor. I, I speak freely. I speak from my heart and I want to help. You might not want to hear the shit that comes out of my mouth because first of all, I might say the word shit and that offends some people, I guess. But secondly, I'm going to make you look at yourself and, you know, try to break yourself down, break down why am I where I am? Because so many people are unhappy. So th- that's that's one of the things, uh, but that, you know, talks about helping other people, you know, within my own organization, how we become fairly successful at what we do. And I really think it's empowerment. Going back to that, I read smarter people than me, give them the tools and the expectations and the goals, right? And they just get out of their way. Let them do their job. You know, not everything, you know, on a kind of a side note, but somewhat related, not everything's going to fit into a spreadsheet, guys. There's not an ROI, a direct ROI for everything. And I would argue very often the most important things you will ever do in your life have no ROI that you can point to. I was sitting at dinner one night with a friend, a very close friend of mine, and he's another syndicator. He's super successful. And I was talking to him about some cool things we were doing at one of my properties. You know, we're, we're doing free Zumba classes yoga at the pool for my residence, 250 unit property, free. Now we're paying for the instructor to come out, but we're giving it for free. He goes, Bruce, well, come on, what's the ROI in that? Like, dude, get your head out of your damn spreadsheet. Not Mm -hmm. everything has an ROI. It's the right thing to do for my people, for the residents that live there. I'm trying to create community. The more community I can uh, create for the residents, the less likely they are to leave when they know their neighbors. When they don't know their neighbors, I don't provide networking opportunities for them or you know meet and greets for them and their neighbors. They're more likely to leave because there's no emotional connection to the property. So right. I argue there is an actual ROI to that now. It's not measurable, right? But you know that that's the thing. What's in the best interest of the people that work for you and live on your property? What's the best way to empower your people? Get out of their way, but still have your KPIs, right? Still be able to measure your success but get yourself out of the spreadsheet and look at it from, you know, a little different vantage point. That's been our biggest, uh, the, the biggest reason for our success. I yeah. It's definitely, definitely more of a qualitative analysis rather than quantitative. Like who cares what the ROI, what the, the dollar amount is on this return. Like we're giving back. We're, like you said, we're building that community, which is invaluable. And they're going to tell people they're going to be able to refer people to come live when, you know, when a spot opens up, like, man, this place, this is awesome. They got so much going on here. Like, I love it. I'm like, that's that's what we want is fostering those real relationships with people. And that's how we find the best success, I feel right, like. Right, exactly. Bruce, man, it, it's really been uh, good talking to you. I, I've really enjoyed kind of hanging out. And uh, but before we go, you know, I really want to just kind of shine the spotlight on you. And, you know, tell tell the listeners, you know, what do you have going on? So I don't know if any of your listeners, listeners know about this, but I wrote a book, right? Remember, I cost a little bit. Syndicating is a bitch, right? My book talks to you about how to syndicate every step of the way. 
uh, who to use in your syndication, when to find the professionals you need, how much to pay those guys, how to do your due diligence. It walks through everything. But I'm also telling you some stories along the way to let you know that this is really hard. People think it's really easy when they go to a real estate conference and hear the people on stage talk about it. It's not easy, right? But if you do it right and you have the mental fortitude, the intestinal fortitude to do it, and you can continually get up and keep moving forward when things kick you in the gut, because it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. This is a great way to make a living. But I want to make sure people understand what that is all about, what's involved in syndicating a real estate deal. Because again, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of stress, a lot of work, a lot of liability, but it's a great way to make a living, uh, a huge impact in your community. Uh, but what I'd like to do is uh, I don't want them to go buy the book. I want to give them a book, right? So if you'll go to my website, apt-guy.com, so basically apartment guy, uh, apt-guy.com, put in your information there. I'll send you a high quality PDF version of my book because I'm not trying to make money with the book. I'm not trying to get clients or investors. I'm just trying to make sure people understand what this great industry is and what syndication is and how wonderful it is, but also how hard it is. So I just want to open people's eyes. So I'd like to give them a free book. We're definitely going to hook that link into the show notes. Uh, so that way people can have pretty quick access to that. I appreciate that. I'm going to sign up and go ahead and get that book. Uh, I appreciate your your transparency and your direct nature. You know, we because we, we've gone to, you know, boatloads of conferences and stuff. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of value and a lot of those just meetups and conferences and stuff. But we always just get, you know, the, the highlight reel and everybody, everybody walks up and me included, like walking out, like eye on life, like this is what we're about to do and whatever. And it's like, you know what you, it's not as simple as that guy up there was saying, you know, there's, there's always a little bit more to it. I think that book's going to be awesome. I'm uh, just gauging on, uh, you know, how you carry yourself and how you talk like. Right. And most of those guys at the front of the room, they're, they're really good people and they have really good programs. Almost every single one of them. I'm not saying anything bad about them, but I just need people to understand the dynamic at play in that room that they're sitting in that they're trying to sell you something. They're going to give you the rainbows and lollipops and the, the success stories and the students. Um, they're not necessarily going to tell you all the scary stuff and they, you know, cause they're, they have an objective and that's to get money out of your back pocket. They can help you, but they need you to write a big check to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people will sign up and then a month or two later go, Oh my God, this is a lot worse than I thought it was. It was a lot harder than they led me to believe. So again, I'm just trying to illuminate the space. We appreciate, uh, we appreciate what you're doing, the information that you provide. Everybody go check out his book, Bruce. I appreciate you being here, man. You're the man. I hope to see, you know, your continued success. We'll continue following you. Maybe we'll get you on again sometime. Yeah, Chris, I really appreciate you having me on. I really like talking to people. I just want to help as many people as I can. And, you know, the podcast is, you know, kind of a way to do it. So I really appreciate you having me on. Excellent. We're like-minded in that for sure. Uh, Well, everybody, that's all we have for today. Appreciate you listening and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.